0: It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey.
1: Good morning, great to have you here this morning. This is our second of a mi- week of a mini-series we've called The Way. Now... Uh, Probably about 20 years ago, a group was formed called the National Church Life Survey. And essentially what they did in their uh, inception was to survey churches right across Australia with some sort of key touch points, questions about church life, measuring metrics, you know, all sorts of things. That group still exists. And in fact, they've actually expanded their uh, sort of scope of work to be surveying More broadly, in the Australian context, about attitudes towards church and God and religion and so on and so forth. And some of their uh, stats are very insightful. Some of them are particularly shocking uh, as well. And uh, I was looking at some of the uh, research they published from a survey they did in 2021. Let me show you um, a few of the results of that. So they asked, one of the questions they asked is, do you believe in God or a higher power? Now, uh, 55% said yes, 24% said no, and 21% said unsure. I don't know if you find that shocking or if that sounds about right. To me, that was like, yeah, okay, probably sounds about right. This was another question. Do you know that Jesus is an actual historical figure? 50%, no, I didn't know that. See, this is the point, that Jesus is actually, as a human, and historical figure. He's no more fictitious than Socrates, and the list goes on. Uh, Julius Caesar, and you know, you just, he's recorded in the history. 50% of Australians didn't know that, don't know that. And here's the thing, As Jesus followers, we're actually trying to lead people to believe that Jesus is who He says He is, that He's the Son of God, that He came from heaven, that He died voluntarily on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. We're trying to get that message across. Half of our target audience put Jesus in the same category as the tooth fairy. So you wanna know why church leading people to Jesus seems so challenging? It's because half of the people don't believe He even existed. And it's not, sorry, didn't know. This was the very intentional language. Do you know? No. What? Wait, what? Now for some good news. Question. If asked, would you attend a church service this Christmas? I want you to think of a number, a percentage of respondents, three in 10 said yes. And I'm gonna repeat what I say regularly. Do not say people's no for them. Because you might have assumed, and I'm not being critical, I'm just saying it would, it's easy to assume nobody in your sphere would say yes. But in the broader Australian context, three in 10 people would say yes if asked. Not if it came across their Facebook feed. If asked, would attend a church service this Christmas. So we're teaching this mini-series called The Way. And we're taking a deep dive into Jesus' last recorded prayer and actually what happens to be His longest recorded prayer. It's recorded by John in chapter 17. If you, oh, we've got a mouse flying across the screen. If you've got your smartphone camera, you can scan this flow code. It's gonna take you to John chapter 17. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation. While you're doing that, let me just highlight a few things that speak to the importance of this prayer. First of all, Jesus prayed this prayer knowing that he was about to be arrested and executed. So if you know you're about to be arrested and executed, now's not the time to be praying for a parking spot. Now's not the time for the most ambitious prayer you pray is saying grace over your meal or that your sporting team's gonna win this weekend. This is the time to say, this is the last roll of the dice and I'm gonna say a prayer. And this is, a, this is the stuff that really, really matters. And so last week we talked about Jesus praying about the way of life. He actually said that He is the way to eternal life. You wanna get some pushback at your workplace? Start telling your colleagues that Jesus said He's the way. You almost certainly get some pushback. What? No, no He's your way. But it's not the way, because, you know, I've watched YouTube. And the people that started following Him were called people of the way, that they actually committed to just to do what Jesus did, to live like Him, to love like Him, to lead like Him. And they made their ultimate point in life to, it was to know God, and to make him known. We say it differently. We say to reach people and build people, but it's that thing. It's this idea of that as we get to know God more, which we need to, not just kind of, you know, freeze frame, met him once, I'm good, uh, and then to be people that are leading other people to know him better. Now, Jesus continued praying. I'm praying not only for these disciples, in other words, the people that are already convinced, that are already gathered around me, that are already following me, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one. Hello. Just as you and I are one. As you're in me, Father, and I am you. And they may they be in us so that, The world will believe that you sent me. I'm talking today about the way of unity. And Jesus is making the point that unity is actually not an end goal in itself, but rather it's actually a witness to people who aren't yet following Him that He actually exists and and that He's at work. And think about that for a minute. Like, why would that be? Well, here's the thing. This concept look around, should not work. Okay, I've got a great idea of how we're gonna show the world that what Jesus said is true. Let's bring a group of people who will look different from different cultures, different backgrounds, age different, different personalities, different passions. Let's let's smush them all together and tell them, I want you to be unified. Some of you have five people in your family and you can't get along and you share DNA. It's a sign that if, when the church has unity, people are like, there must be some kind of magic working on the background here because I'm looking around and this shouldn't work. Now, before you start looking around, asking yourself, what What happened? Because sometimes you only preach about unity when something's blowing up. <laughs> Nothing's happened. This is an inoculation message. This is a, we have unity, let's keep it going. Let's fight for it. Let's protect it. Let's ensure that it even gets bigger and deeper and stronger. So I want to to share two things, very, very easy to remember. How we as a church can preserve, fight for, and even increase our unity. The first one is this dial up the mission. Our mission, reach people, build people. Everything else is second in terms of why we exist as a church. In the Nantucket Islands, off the east coast of the US, around the Rhode Island area, those islands are surrounded by a lot of rocks. And uh, today, if you go to the Nantucket Islands, you'll come across the Nantucket Shipwreck and Life-Saving Museum. Here's one of the exhibits inside the Nantucket Shipwreck and Life-Saving Museum. And this museum is dedicated to a group of people known as the Life-Saving Society. This was a group of volunteers. They formed for the specific reason that ships kept wrecking against the rocks off the coast of the Nantucket Islands. And so this society was formed. They built huts all along the coast of the islands, called them huts of refuge. Volunteers would man them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, looking out into the sea for ships that would wreck. When ships wrecked, they would send up a flare and the people from the, that were in the huts from the Life Saving Society, they would make it their mission to go out and rescue as many people as they could. In the recruiting process of the Life Saving Society, they promoted their motto in order to attract more people to the society. Their motto was this, you have to go out, you don't have to come back. Wait, what? And volunteers signed up to join the Nantucket Life-Saving Society with the motto, with the mission, you have to go out, you don't have to come back, because they placed such a high priority on human life. Now, over time, the US Coast Guard was formed and over that period ensued the Duties of the Nantucket Life Saving Society were taken on by the US Coast Guard. Uh, What's interesting to me is that the Nantucket Life Saving Society never disbanded. They still exist, they still meet, they have dinners and dances. But you know what they don't do anymore? They don't rescue people anymore, and I've shared that once before. I might share that once a year because it's a cautionary tale for a church. Well, we used to be about reaching people for Jesus, but you know, we just got a bit busy. We used to look out for people who were dying, who people who, whose lives are in danger, but we, well, we just started looking in, protecting our interests, prioritizing our preferences. We used to take bold risks. We used to put it all on the line for people who don't know Jesus, but you know, I mean, come on. And churches can so easily put personal preferences as the priority. Here's the usual suspect over the years, music. Going to a church, nearly everybody's got an opinion about the music. There's only one style being played. And I'm not so naive to assume that everyone likes it. In fact, here at Elevate, our music team, we choose songs that as best as we can interpret, the style of the music will appear to a 30-year-old male. Now, it's gonna come as a complete shock to you that I no longer fit in that demographic. I know, shocking. But here's the thing, I'm 54 years old. And as long as people are hearing about Jesus, especially the next generations, then I'm good. If that music is gonna reach them, cause I've been reached, I'm reached. I can go home and play all the worship music I want that's going to appeal to an old fart like me. By the way, I love our music. (laughs) As long as people are getting baptised, as long as marriages are being healed, people are getting healed, anxiety and depression's being broken. Here's here's my playbook. If I think, "Oh, oh, the music's too loud. All right. Do you know that we can point out the quieter spots in our auditorium? See, the the, the speakers are there. I actually stand in one of the quieter spots. I don't stand there because it's quiet, but sometimes I can barely even hear the music. Music volume bothers you. Come sit near me. We have earplugs. You can even bring your own. There's a brand I recommend called Loop. Bring Loop. Loop earplugs are so good. I wear them when I sleep at night. Some mornings I don't hear my alarm. I wake up with the shove. <laughs> Oi! Oh, what? What? Your alarm's been going off for 13 minutes. Wait, what? Where? Who? It's next to me in it. And when the time comes and I've got my hearing aid on, I'm just going to turn that bad boy off until the preaching starts. Here's the thing it's not about my preferences, it's all about our mission. Now, Jesus continues to pray. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I'm in them and you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity, not just like Kmart variety, perfect unity that the world will not, again, remember, I'm making the point, unity is not the end goal. It's a witness that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as, as you love me. So first of all, dial up the mission. Here's my next one, hello. Dial down the drama. Does anybody, put your hand up, does anybody ever met somebody that loves to dial up the drama? If they're sitting next to you, don't put your hand up, this, things will get very ugly very, very quickly. <clears throat> Do you know science? actually explains this. I don't say excuses it, but explains it. When people experience trauma in their lives, one of the remarkable things that the body does is it releases chemicals and hormones, like endorphins, for example, that help people better cope with the pain, to feel better, to feel less vulnerable which in and of itself sounds like a good thing. It's kind of like a protection mechanism, a little bit of a buffer, a little bit of bubble wrap, okay? The problem is some people actually get addicted to that response. So much so that when, if, if, they've, if they've never resolved that trauma, then anytime they get triggered, that, there's, that the pain starts to resurface they'll actually voluntarily or involuntarily cause some drama in order to experience that chemical masking that they had going on before. Again, explains it, doesn't excuse it. My pro move is go and get some counselling. Dial down the drama. And when mission becomes the main thing, we start fighting alongside one another yeah. and with one another yeah. and not against one another. Yeah, yeah. In the Holy Land, which is not a good time to be going to the Holy Land right now, unfortunately. In the Holy Land, there's this church. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, sepulchre means, just means grave. And in the fourth century, it was built on what was considered to be probably Jesus' burial place. Whether it that, I'm not getting into whether that's entirely proven or not. But it is, this physical location is considered to be the holiest site in all of Christianity across the entire world. Okay? The way it functions is in the morning, there's one Muslim family who have a key and they go in and they unlock it. And then of an evening, there's another Muslim family. And by the way, the reason there's two Muslim families is because they can't get along with each other. One brags about we're the ones that get to open the key because the other ones, they lock it and they keep the key overnight. And they brag, well, we keep the key overnight so we're better than you. And so anyway, that's happening. The reason they have to lock it at night is not so people can break in, is because inside there's a whole bunch of priests who represents a whole group of different denominations who can't agree how this thing should operate. The Roman Catholics are in there, the Greek Orthodox, the American Apostolic, the Coptic, the Syriacs, the Ethiopian Orthodox. They all have some priests in there and these guys can't actually get along. And you think, oh, yeah, okay, sure. So they sort of sit in different corners when they have lunch. There was an occasion where one of the priests decided it was a good idea. He was gonna go and sunbathe in a disputed area. Well, some of the other priests didn't like that. So they attacked him with iron bars. Things escalated. And ultimately, 11 priests had to be ambulanced to hospital. In the holiest site in all of Christianity, you've got a bunch of priests going full UFC on one another. There's another time when one priest asked another priest if he could lock a particular door. And the other priest said, well, that's not my job. Well, things escalated between the two of them, turned into a brawl so intense that the Israeli police force had to be called in. But then all the priests decided, now's a good time to be unified. And all the priests turned on the Israeli police force. I mean, what if you wanted one of the Israeli police? You're like, ah, like... There's no delicate way to stop someone who's beating up on you apart from putting him in handcuffs. This is happening in the holiest sight in all of Christianity. This is not a great witness of what perfect unity looks like. So dial up the mission, dial down the drama. And whether that's news to you or not, or you're like, yeah, I've been there, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen the iron bars, um, it kind of isn't surprising because Christians and churches over 2,000 years have found ways to disagree with one another and make those disagreements the main thing. Putting their personal agendas and personal preferences over the mission. People... And in the last thousand plus years, churches have found this list of things to disagree over. Here's one, politics. I'll solve this one right now. I'm just gonna tell you who you should vote for. And then I'll tell you who I voted for. Well, no, because it's not, it's not the mission. Figure it out for yourself. Do the research. Dress, what you should wear. There's one. Whether Christians should watch a particular movie or not. Whether you should read from a particular English translation of the Bible or not. You know what? Sometimes I'm just saying, I just want you to read the Bible. I'll consider that a win. Whether you, whether you should have guitars in worship or not. Ooh, bring back the organ. Bring back the organ. Here, here's a little fun game you can play at home. Across the world, I just want you to think of a number. This is like the jelly bean in the jar competition. Think of a number between zero and 40,000 of how many denominations you think there are Christian denominations there are in the world today. Think of a number, just think of a number between zero and 40,000. Little bit of a trick question because it sort of depends how you measure them, but the the numbers range from anywhere from like 1,100, which is super conservative, trust me, up to 30,000 plus and splintering and growing at such a rate, we can't even keep count. Here's the contrast. When Jesus launched the church, there was... One, the church, the people of the way. And since that time, churches have found new and creative ways to splinter and splinter and splinter again. And here's my observation many of them splintered over stuff that's not the mission. over less important stuff. Here's one way that I frame it. This isn't, uh, I don't know, I just made this up, okay? Just made this up. Uh, I just have a five-tier system in my head. It's helpful for me and it's helpful for when people come to me with some questions. I've got an issue with this, okay. Is it a tier one issue? Now here's the tier one issue. Jesus is who he said he is. Son of God, abandoned heaven, died on a cross, forgiveness of your sins if you put your faith in Him and you'll experience eternal life. That's a tier one issue. And if ever as a church we we change that, then please leave. Everything else is a tier two issue down to a tier five issue. And here's my observation. There are churches and denominations around the world who have splintered over tier five issues. There's relationships that have been derailed and blown up within churches over tier five issues. Now, now here's the thing. A tier five issue can be important to you, but don't get your panties in a bunch if it's not important to somebody else because it's a tier five issue. A.K.A. a preference. A few years ago, I've told this story once before. A few years ago, I was wearing this hat in the foyer. And I had a guy come up to me and he started telling me what the Bible says about hat wearing. And I was like, "Uh, which Bible is that? Uh, And then I said to him, you know, like of the two of us, only one of us studies the Bible for a living and it's not you. And he lunged at me to remove my hat. Now I've got the reflexes of a cat. So I'm like, and I said to him, that's not gonna happen, buddy. And um, we haven't seen him since. He was making a tear, well, what he thought, well, anyway, here's my take on it. Hat wearing, hey, come on, represent. Hat, in, a, in a five-tier system, hat wearing is a tier six issue. Scotty, this is your chance to say amen. So unimportant. So, as I'm going to finish, real quick flyover, here are some of my pro tips of how, as a church, we can continue to both preserve unity and to fight for it if it starts to become a little bit fragile. Number one, keep the main things the main things. Jesus is the Son of God. Abandoned heaven, came to earth as a man, died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, rose from the dead, as predicted, all who place their faith in him will receive the gift of eternal life. It's the third time I've said that in this message. Must be important. Number two, believe the best. And I gotta tell you, in our current culture, where the media's now, the media's playbook is to not be right, it's to be first. And we have been, we are constantly exposed to trial by media where people are presumed guilty till proven innocent, which in case you missed it, that's not how the legal system is designed to work. In fact, here's a little thing in the the legal system. There's the accusation. And now here's the trial. There is a phase in between called the discovery phase. This is where questions are asked. This is where both the prosecution and the defence try to actually get some broader perspective on what actually happened, not just what the accusation looks like. And here's my tip. When someone comes to you or when you're trying to form a conclusion in your head about somebody and, and you're putting them on trial, ask yourself, Have I done the due diligence in the discovery phase? So if you've only heard one side of the story, uh, hello, guess what? You've only heard one side of the story. You have a limited perspective. Do the due diligence. And while you're doing the due diligence in discovery phase, presume innocent till proven guilty or what Paul says, believe the best. Here's one, watch your words. Now, I regularly talk about this, the importance of speaking life to people and speaking life about people. Let me take that on a slight tangent. Words have power. And if you're not actually very good at articulating things, you will find yourself causing damage that you didn't intend to cause because you haven't developed the skills because interpersonal communication is a skill. You haven't developed the skills and and you'll find yourself lighting little fires and not even maybe even realising it or if you realise it or you get pointed out, you're like, oh, I, I didn't mean that. It's like, yeah, no one's questioning your intention, but this art of developing your interpersonal skills knowing how to ask questions, knowing how to not be loaded, and the list goes on, will actually help create, preserve, and protect unity because there'll be a lot less unintended wounds inflicted by poor words. And you know, interpersonal communication skills is actually something that can be learned. And here's what I want to say, final point on that, is learn from high-capacity people, not merely high-profile people. Because we live in a culture where people are given a platform because they cause drama and trouble with their words. And they make the headlines because reporters know if it bleeds, it leads. If they've caused some damage, we're gonna put that story on the front page. High-capacity people, not necessarily high profile people. And here's the final one set boundaries. I learned this from a mentor years ago. Uh, if someone came to him with some gossip or tried to start some drama concerning somebody else, he would say, Fine, great, okay, I've heard you. Let's get them on the phone now. Speakerphone, the phone, speakerphone. And I do that. I mean, we don't have much drama people know, like most of the time, don't bring me gossip. I'm just gonna shut it down. I'm not really interested. I'll talk to the person directly. But I have that up my sleeve. If someone comes to me, wanting to dial up the drama about somebody, I'll say, okay, all right, I've I've heard your perspective. Let's get them on the phone now, speakerphone. Let's find out what actually happened from the entire perspective. I can't remember anyone ever taking me up on that offer. Oh, no, no, actually, actually, no, now that you mention it, I could be wrong. (laughs) All right. Back to the 2021 National Church Life Survey. Here's a a banger that they asked. The question they asked in that survey, or this question included, is religion, and they kind of meant church, Christian church, is religion, this is the question they asked, is religion good for society? And you got to tick three, one of three boxes. Yes, I agree it is. Churches are good for society. Uh, two, neutral. I don't know, good bow. And then, or disagree. I don't think churches are good for society. Well, actually 19%, that number was higher in 2019 when they asked the same question. So the church made back some ground. 19% of the people surveyed are living with the perspective that society would be better off if the church didn't exist. Where do you think they got that idea from? It's not from the love we have from one another that we're so well known for. It's not from the, the unity and the perfect unity that Jesus prayed for and said that actually the world will know that, that Father, that you sent me because of the perfect unity that the people... No, they think that because of the drama. Who needs it? Who wants it? I can get that anywhere. Why in the world? And in fact, isn't that what the church shouldn't be known for? And here's the thing. When they ask that question about would you... Say yes if asked to go to a church this Christmas. People gave reasons the three in 10 that said, yeah, I would. They gave reasons. Uh, OK? Seems I didn't know what the reasons are. Let me tell you what they are. I'm pray my own slides on my second week. I have no idea what I'm doing. I will have a coaching conversation with myself later on. And I will take no prisoners. No excuses. Listen up, Mark. Yes, I'm listening. Uh, Three in 10 said, yes, they would attend a church service if asked this Christmas. 34% said they would come along if they felt it was important to you. In other words, they're sort of like, they'll just do you a favour. They'll just be nice. It's kind of like less awkward than saying no. All right, great. Whatever works. So ask. 16% said if they thought the church was going to be welcoming. And 13% if the church is going to be caring. So 29% are on this kind of welcoming, caring. They didn't give the option of drama. And by the way, based on this idea that some people are addicted to drama, I suspect that 1% might have put that on their answer. I'd come to that church this Christmas if there was drama. That'll be fun. But most of them, that's not what people are looking for. Most people have enough drama in their lives already <laughs> and aren't looking to add to it. Here's something that David wrote, like a song, a prayer, a, a, a hope. How good, and, and I, by the way, this is also like a vision. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there, not their physical space, there in that dynamic. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. like, oh, we're very unified on a Sunday, but wait till we get out of here. I'm gonna tell you something. No, the dynamic of unity. There the Lord bestows His blessing. You want God to bestow more blessing, commit to, preserve, protect, fight for unity. Even life evermore. So, look, I've given you a bunch of reasons, encouragement, challenges around why unity matters. If you're still not convinced that the most important things we can do is to dial up the mission and dial down the drama,
0: we really hope you got a lot out of this message.